so I'm a strategic napper in that I, I if I feel the urge in the mid-afternoon, um, I just give into it and I and I nap and I set my alarm for 23 minutes because it takes me about three minutes to fall asleep, <clears throat> and then I'll um, wake up and I feel emotion and and for me a big part of it, especially when my children were young, was it just gave me the ability to emotionally regulate. Welcome back to the Balanced Bully Podcast for ambitious women in business and a few brave men. I'm Nikita Thigpen, your host and balance and relationship advisor, partnering with you to change the narrative so we can amplify intimacy within and across your relationships, and you can finally have the freedom, flexibility, and confidence to thrive in work life and in love. Here we are, season 22, deep in the throes of my favorite season ever for so many reasons. And if you are new to the Balance Bully podcast, then you probably don't know why, but I'm about to tell you. And if you are a avid listener, for lack of a better term, thank you for coming back as usual. And you already know that this theme is my number one guiding principle, personally and professionally. It is the lighthouse of my life. Um, So I'm really excited to continue and to bring you experts that really do stand in and represent everything that this season is all about, which is fully living what you teach. It is so crucial. And again, if you have not learned this from all that 2020 has brought to us this year with this paradigm shift of shattering expectations and shaking up things that we thought were going to be our plans for 2020 and the universe laughed at them. Ha 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 ha. No, you will not be doing that. You will be doing things different, perhaps even better than you already know how important it is to really stand in your truth and be in touch with who you are, the bad and the good, so you can make effective changes and be, you know, be able to cause those ripples in the universe that we all hope to want to be able to do. So let me get right into it and welcome Dr. Sarah McKay. She's the author of the Neuroscience Academy, a presenter of ABC Catalyst, and the author of the Woman's Brain Book, The Neuroscience of Health, Hormones, and Happiness. You already love her, right? I like, I know, I already love her too. <laughs> As a neuroscientist and science communicator, Dr. Sarah McKay specializes in translating brain science research into simple, actionable strategies that the layperson can apply in their daily lives. After five years of medical research in Australia, Dr. Sarah hung up her lab coat to focus on science communications. She's hosted an episode of the ABC's flagship science series, Catalyst, and we could not be more excited that she carved out time, which is really, really early in the morning for her compared to the time it is for us here on the East Coast in the United States. So be able to just come and partner with us to share her journey and her story and make sure you know that there are real people out there doing real things and standing in their real truth. Dr. Sarah McKay, welcome to the Balanced Bully Podcast. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you. Thanks for the lovely intro. You're welcome. You are amazing. And I would love for you to just share a little bit more about what you're doing in the world. Oh, wow. Okay. So I am a New Zealander um, and I live in Sydney, Australia. So as we say down in this part of the South Pacific across the ditch, um, I was, I had a really fantastic upbringing, both the part of the world I grew up in and um, had really loving, warm 
nurturing family, which I am eternally grateful for because I think that has just given me such a foundation to do do the things I do. I was one of those kids that always had my head stuck in a book, loved learning, and I think that that love of learning has carried through with me, and I kind of think it's getting stronger like I still I'd still just really like to spend all day reading books and doing absolutely nothing else except maybe having a cup of coffee or walking my dog um I I went went off to university and met and fell in love with the subject of neuroscience and I had a sense then that if I understood a little bit about how the brain worked I'd get this great insight into human behavior why we think and feel and do the things we do and I've spent about 25 years working in in neuroscience both in the research lab and running my own business teaching people a little bit more about the brain and neuroscience and that's really I suppose if I had to say my 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 guiding light or my my north star I just love learning and neuroscience is the best discipline for that because it is so broad and it is so deep and there is still so much we don't know I every single day I get to read a paper or hear an insight or learn something new about the brain that I can you know kind of just I just I just get so excited when I find out something new like that that love of learning has honestly carried me through and so now I've built a business and a, a and a career really about sharing all of the interesting things that I learn with other people. No, I absolutely love it, especially considering that one, you are a nerd and I'm about that nerd life too. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, nerds make the world go round, man. We do. Um, <laughs> which is incredible. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, all that you know about the brain, right? Like in, in all of its impact on our, our hormones and our health and our happiness, which mm-hmm. is what your book is about um, in, in the most direct way. Have you come across in your 25 plus years of being an expert and a student of neuroscience, have you come across any particular reason while so many people are just struggling with things like imposter syndrome or being able to just be honest and authentic with who they really are? Oh my goodness. I remember um, when I first felt imposter syndrome. So I... um, I'm a Kiwi, as I said, grew up in New Zealand. My parents left school when they were both 15. So I had never um, really met anyone who went to university before, except maybe my GP, you know, my doctor and my dentist. And then I I headed off to university. And so I I sometimes hear that you can't be what you can't see. But somehow I ended up at university. My parents were like, you want to go where and do what and study what? Um, Luckily, they were fully supportive of that. Um, I'm, as I say, I, I studied neuroscience and then I won a scholarship to Oxford University in the UK, which when you think about the fact that my parents leave school at 15 um, is, is really quite extraordinary. But I suppose I was doing what I loved, which was which yeah. was neuroscience. But I landed at Oxford University, this kind of Kiwi kid. And I tell you what, if you're going to suffer imposter syndrome, it is it is somewhere like that. Um the people were just extraordinary that I I got to know, um, mm. and what and you know just every everyone there was not just good at what they did; they were passionate about what they did, and they did everything that they did really well. And it was an extraordinary place to live. But of course, it's just such a a natural consequence of living and working in a university like that is that you have imposter syndrome. Um, everyone else around me is going to figure out that I don't belong. 
But what was right. really interesting was as soon as I learned what imposter syndrome was, it kind of went away. Um, and I and I and I think I don't remember who was talking to me about what it was, but I as soon as I heard it was a thing, it's almost as if um, I, I had given it a name and I could understand its origins. I realized it was quite a natural human reaction. It's a natural human way of thinking and feeling and being and almost something that wasn't quite so special and unique to me. And I think maybe that's what I've learned about studying neuroscience all these years is, is sometimes we can be so busy thinking about ourselves and self-reflecting and kind of navel-gazing um, that we almost think that we, I mean, we all are incredibly different and special, but we think, I'm so special. I'm the only person that's ever thought about this before. I'm <laughs> the only person who's ever experienced imposter syndrome and then it's like actually you know what it's quite normal it's to be expected you're not that unique it's just a natural part of the human condition that um I suppose we're social creatures we're always kind of measuring ourselves engaging ourselves against what other people are doing and and for me having an understanding that that was a natural psychological consequence of who I was and what I was doing in a way almost kind of removed the 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 emotional response to it and enable me to look at it in a very kind of dispassionate way. Um, and, and that sound may sound a bit kind of mechanical, but I think that's one of the great gifts studying neuroscience has given me. It's, it's enabled me to kind of stand back and mm -hmm. um, be quite thoughtful and analytical about a particular situation or a response to a situation and go, huh, okay, that's kind of just what humans do. And, and enables me then to kind of, work my way through that and it was almost like once I heard it was a thing it kind of just disappeared yeah I get that you took the power away from what the feeling was that was over you when you were kind of comparing and doing the measuring stick thing you know not feeling like you were enough or that you were belonged and once you were able to check okay what this is this is normal <clears throat> you you literally took the power out of it by yeah, applying yeah. that normalcy yeah I mean, if it's normal that means everyone else is kind of thinking it too and so that means you're less kind of strange <laughs> and I was like oh, we're probably all secretly thinking and feeling this and of course we were and then you can't have imposter syndrome if you're all feeling it, right? Because you're all right. imposters. And so I suppose it's I've I've learned that maybe it's just a kind of a, a kind of a type of cognitive therapy in a way. It's always mm -hmm. enabled me to stand back and kind of almost look at it in a in a very scientific reductionist way, um, which which is which is a useful tool in lots of ways. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that was a really powerful way to, to sit back and do it, too. I was actually having a conversation with um, some wonderful women earlier today, and for, we kind of dovetailed into imposter syndrome, just, you know, where all of us are coaches and consultants, and we all come from various backgrounds. I'm a psychotherapist by background, and, and they came from the corporate world, and we were able to just talk about how it, you know, it comes up in for everyone, to your point, like, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in life or if you're doing a new program, new division or going into a new venture, it kind of kind of comes up, even if you know that you're an amazing person, even if you've yeah. already accepted that it can pop up. 
But where some people get stuck in it is, you know, the normal kind of fair question when you're working on something new or you're going to college or university, or you're doing mm. something new is, you know, am I ready for this? Do yeah. I have the right supports? Do I have everything? It's a very fair risk assessment question, right? Like to make sure that you can at least be aware of potential challenges that might come up if you hadn't done that risk assessment. But people get stuck in it and they go the other way. And instead of saying, okay, do I have these supports? Am I ready? You know, what, mm. what do I need to successful in whatever this new venture is, mm. they start to back into this insecurity of, oh, I'm not ready. Yeah. Oh, no one will ever trust me. I'm not, I'm definitely not good enough for this. Yeah. And then they slide right down that hill. And I wasn't sure if there was something to that wiring that yeah. we, you know? Yeah. Well, I think if we think about it, imposter syndrome is really about us and other people. Mm-hmm. And probably more than most people realize is so many of our decisions and thoughts and feelings and emotions and ways of being are around our interactions with other people. We humans are the most social creatures. Our brains kind of evolve to the point that they're at because we, we, we need to be part of a tribe. And one of the most terrible things that could happen to us, whether that be an imagined or a real thing, is to be rejected from the tribe, to be separate from the tribe, to lose people we love. And imposter syndrome really kind of feeds into that because it's really about everyone else um, is a member of this very clever, intelligent, capable, successful tribe, and perhaps I don't quite belong. So really it is this this sort of deep-rooted, hardwired, for want of better language, need that we have as social creatures to be accepted and to be wanted and to be seen. And if we are, are perhaps venturing somewhere new, we think maybe I'm not going to fit in. You know, my social brain needs to connect with others. And what if they don't want me? What if they don't see me? And that, I guess, is where a lot of these emotions come from. They come from this uncertainty about being, 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 being accepted. And we see that at every point through the lifespan. You know, a newborn baby, what does it need more than anything? Well, of course, it needs food and water, but it needs love and connection and interaction. We see it with little children. You know, they're, 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 they're developing friendships. We see it exquisitely when we look at, um, and I have um, boys who are 10 and 12, so that, that phase of adolescence as they're kind of going from childhood into their teenage years, what is more important to them than anything? Well, I know for my 12-year-old, it is not me anymore. <laughs> it's not really my <laughs> husband either. It is his friends. And the most yeah. important thing for him is to be in his herd of boys and to be you know, accepted and part of them and connecting with them, whether it be via TikTok or, you know, Fortnite or out on his bike. He he's, you know, we, we just want to be part of other people's lives and our lives are intimately entwined and connected with other people the whole way through the lifespan. And it, and if we look at it from a like a purely biological level in terms of our health, and this is what I discovered writing my book, was the greatest influence on our health, where the greatest vulnerabilities lie and also where the opportunities are is around our interactions with other people and if you have a lonely person there's nothing illness and disease likes more than to get its teeth into a lonely person it is one of the strongest um, indicators of of good health and particularly good mental health is being connected with others so that's why I think that these 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 feelings of self-consciousness imposter syndrome we might call it is, is such a natural consequence of being human and if you can sort of understand that, 
that there's not it's not a fault it's not that there's something wrong with you it's just something you're not strong enough and you don't trust yourself you just kind of want to feel part of everyone else and that's a really that's for me that kind of is whenever I learn these kinds of facts I find it quite healing I think oh that's mm. quite it's quite natural for me to think that it's quite natural for my son to not want to talk to me <laughs> he's just being yeah. a 12 year old you know and it's instead of catastrophizing it or layering all these emotional responses over it I can go okay that's kind of normal and natural how are we going to kind of work our way through this yeah absolutely you can depersonalize it and not be so hypersensitive to it and you're you're so right like most of us have a visceral especially as women for sure which is most of our listening base Mm. are women we have a visceral need for a community uh whether that community is two, three, or four other people, or whether it's mm. 500 other people, mm. we do mm. have a visceral need for that. Mm. Um, yeah, and well, it's mm. 2020, <laughs> and <laughs> we've learned a lot, as, as mm. humanity has learned a lot this year, and um, what have we learned about, like, how painful, and the, 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 the exquisite pain and torture that comes from being separated from other humans, and we've tried our best, thankfully, this pandemic in 2020 happened when we could connect digitally like we even are now but um it's just shown us you know that that fundamental need to connect and the consequences we don't probably yet know the full consequences especially on young people's mental health and and well-being and what some of these outcomes are going to be by the fact that we have to keep ourselves safe and other people safe had to just spend time apart um, it's a, a really unfortunate experiment, but I think, you know, we can reflect on that as well and go, wow, what we need is other people. Oh, absolutely. Healthy other people, right? Yes. Like We all want to be yeah. healthy. Yeah. Yeah. We want to give yeah. each other a hug again one day. Yeah, definitely healthy other people. I think uh, because we both know that children are extremely resilient, uh, the children who are supported and who are allowed to be heard, right? Like mm. that don't live in uh, situations or within cultures where they're not allowed to share their feelings or or speak Mm. their mind or share their anxieties without being told to button it up, shut it up. You know, Mm. you don't have any problems. You're just a kid. What do you know? You know, Mm. that kind of very negative um, language that unfortunately a lot of our our children today are dealing with that may not have the most supportive families Mm. or or composites around them. And Mm. when I say composites, I'm including some of their teachers, right? Like not everyone really speaks life into the children but those who do receive it i think will blossom yeah and they will absolutely have scars from this time you Mm. know like many of us have but they will be beautiful scars because they will have remembered the the good things that happened in the midst of of all the kind of chaos that was around them Mm. and the children who don't have that i think are going to tell they're going to teach our world Mm. a bigger life Mm. um Mm. so i think you know, as individuals need to be very well-intended in terms of their intention that we take on making sure that even if we're not related to those children who were not as protected and and didn't have the healthiest uh, composites around them, that we find Mm -hmm. ways to participate in pouring into them in some ways. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think so much of the focus for parents and society in general around kids has been online school, homeschool, how are we going to keep the classroom going? And and absolutely that's really important and it gives structure and it gives routine and it gives a sense of normality. Um, and we've almost 
because of you know digital technology I've been able to kind of carry the, the academic learning on but those kids that have missed out on um being able to just be kids with each other without parents yeah. kind of you know having to intervene or having to framework that in some way um it's going to be it's going to be really tough for them one of the decisions I made really early on in this pandemic and I'm very lucky that we could make the decision that we did because of just by virtue of the fact where we live, even where we live in Sydney, that we're surrounded by a lot of bushland was that we let the kids have one or two friends that they were allowed to play with outside on their bikes. So they were like socially distanced. But um, for me, the, the fact that they, so long as they laughed every day, for me, there was a greater risk. And, and I'm lucky that we could say this because we haven't had a lot of community transmission in Australia. But for me, there was a, there was more of a risk to their mental health and to feeling socially isolated. So we just, as much as we could, encourage time. My son had a birthday party in the ocean because we live by the sea, and so oh. rang a couple of his friends' mums and said, "So, my, so how, it was his twelfth birthday." I said, "So he'll be going for a surf at eleven o'clock at Freshwater Beach next Tuesday, just in case a couple of your." sons happen to be going for a surf <laughs> on Tuesday maybe they because we were still allowed to surf and do and have outdoor exercise here I could take my son to the beach for a surf I just had to walk up and down the sand I wasn't allowed to stop because I was exercising and for me um and sh- giving the giving them the the space to be able to connect with their friends because I know that that is the most important thing um, I was like, I have to protect their mental health and well-being through this because we don't know how long it's going to last. And academically, they'll be fine. We can catch them up. That's that's secondary. Mm-hmm. It was their their health and well-being. And and my oldest son played. Many of your listeners may be familiar with Fortnite. Um, he did a lot of <laughs> online gaming, but you know he laughed and he was playing with his friends. And I thought that that is just you know there was so many um, of my ideals about how they should be behaving. Um, were, were, were lost because my focus was on keeping them connected and giving them that um, giving them that framework and um, it was a decision that I made uh, really early on knowing how important especially you know adolescence is um, for brain development you know the, exactly. the, the, we you know we hear a lot about oh, risk-taking or we hear a lot about emotion you know kids becoming very you know going into teenage years and there's all this sort of they become very emotionally turmoil and there's a sort of storm of adolescence. Actually, the the primary driver of the brain when it's going through adolescence is the development of the social brain networks. They just need the right kinds of social experiences in exactly the same way a little baby's brain needs to hear language, to be able to develop Mm -hmm. language centres in those kind of first couple of years of life. It requires language. When, when kids are young and they're going through their early teenage years, they require the right types of social experiences to wire up the social networks in the brain so they can form healthy relationships later. So for me, that was, uh, that was a real focus um, in terms of keeping my children sort of healthy and well um, this, this year. And um, fingers crossed yeah. it's paid off. absolutely except for the fact my 12 year old doesn't really like to talk to me (laughs) (laughs) which totally within the scope of reasonable normality it's totally okay (laughs) you're completely developmentally normal darling and he he doesn't like it when I say that (laughs) exactly no kisses in public mom or in private no no way (laughs) can't even even get within like 1.5 meters of him (laughs) 
it's just this small Socially moment of time. This is from his mother 24-7. <laughs> but, I mean, look at this. Uh, this is a, a perfect example of you literally living exactly what you teach, right? Because yeah. you could easily be someone who knows all this information, but still says, screw all that. Even though I know that social connectivity is extremely important, I'm so overwhelmed with all the information that's going out about a virus that I'm going to strip them from any possibility yeah, of it, right? Yeah. yeah, and I saw, and I have friends who've done that with their kids. I saw that. Yeah. I saw that happen, yeah. And that's, that's tough, but, you know, part of being able to be at the forefront of your expertise and the lane that you have chosen, or perhaps was chosen for you, but because it was your calling and what you felt very naturally poured poor towards means mm. that you're going to have to dig your heels into it and really embody the very lessons that you're teaching other people. And one of the the places that people are not willing to touch is usually in their own household mm. uh, when they're not quite ready to be honest about whether or not they believe the syrup that they're making, right? Mm. Like, you know, <laughs> like all the Kool-Aid, so, so, to, yeah. so to speak, the Kool-Aid that you're making, you're actually drinking it because you're doing it with your own kids, uh, which I have to commend you for because not a lot of people w- would. Um, and you're saying, no, you know what? I value their brain developing well, as well as I can possibly support them being able to do you know, as naturally as possible. So that, that speaks values, mm-hmm. truly. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I have to ask you um, mm-hmm. before we wrap up on anything, because there are so many questions that I have for you <laughs> on so many levels. Um, but my first most important one is because you are a brain guru and i know everybody doesn't like that g word with guru but for someone who's <laughs> I'll, been oh own it <laughs> right you know like you've been studying it for over two decades almost yeah. two decades why not um sometimes because you know it's always the ones who know that know the most don't necessarily do the most because you know so much about the brain and, and what it does and how it affects your happiness with all that you know, Dr. Sarah McKay, mm-hmm. how do you give yourself permission to pause? <laughs> I've got a few things in life that I love almost more than anything. My husband, my kids, my work, but I really love sleeping. <laughs> I, <laughs> I probably almost do a bit too much of it. One might think I was lazy if they saw what goes on behind the scenes in my house. So I'm a regular strategic napper during the day. I um, have all, up until I um, had my own business and I could make my own decisions, um, I always used to struggle when I got to about 2.30 in the afternoon with just trying to stay awake. Um, And through research and, and learning a little bit about how to nap in a way that was healthy and smart for my brain, realized that if I just gave myself permission to have a 20 minute nap mid afternoon, if I felt that I was struggling to stay awake, um, the benefits would outweigh any loss of time. 20 minutes yeah. no, is no big deal. So I'm a strategic napper in that I, I, if I feel the urge in the mid afternoon, um, I just give into it and I, and I nap and I set my alarm for 23 minutes because it takes me about three minutes to fall asleep. <clears throat> and then I'll um, wake up and I feel emotion. And, and for me, a big part of it, especially when my children were young, was it just gave me the ability to emotionally regulate. If you know those kind of rough edges that start emerging when you're a bit tired and cranky, a 20 minute nap meant I could handle anything. It was like a second day. And for me, that was really important. 
um, for how I felt, I felt this cranky and this kind of made motherhood easier, especially when my children were really young. Um, and it's never disrupted my sleep at night. Interestingly, I um, have a bit of an obsession when I meet other strategic nappers, as I call myself, and people who nap strategically know exactly what I'm talking about with that. Not like having a three-hour sleep in the afternoon, but going, right, I feel tired now. I'm going to lie down and sleep for a set amount of time. Um, I, that means I have a lot of strong positive associations with sleep, and I sleep really well at night. Um, so I'm often in bed by nine. Um, mm -hmm. and I read fiction for an hour. So I'm quite like a police procedural. I think it just sort of takes me out of anything that's in my reality. Um, yeah. and, um, I can, and I, and I can usually smash out a good eight and a half, nine hours a night as well. And I don't wake up either. Um, mm -hmm. because I have very, I, I really like sleeping. And for me, if I don't get that, that's my time out. That's my downtime. That's, that's my primary source of self-care because if I can do that I can wake up early in the morning I can be up at six I can watch the sun rise um I just sit that just sets me up for, for the for the rest of the day so for me that's my 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 moment my downtime the kind of my foundation wow. for everything and it sounds so kind of basic and cheesy but I mean the neuroscience backs that up that mm -hmm. is the foundation of all health um, we don't appreciate it. We all know we're not meant to lie in bed at night and play with our mobile phones and whatnot. But for me, that's um, kind of core to what I do. Yeah, it's your atomic. Mm. It's your elixir. Yeah. yeah, yeah, more than anything, more than anything. I love that. Uh, so what you'll find funny is this week, one of the posts that I shared on LinkedIn was about how 20 minute power naps um oh, you know <laughs> right right like it was so and I was like and she had for everyone listening she had no idea that I shared that no, everybody no. <laughs> I actually I I have done a TED, TEDx TEDx some people don't like it when you say TED talk a TEDx talk on the neurobiology of afternoon naps so I've mm -hmm. been this has been one of my kind of gigs for, for a while is is yeah. napping and, and it's interesting because I know a lot of people suffer from insomnia or have sleep issues or struggle for yeah. sleep or staying asleep. And there's a lot of re reasons for that and approaches to it. Interestingly to me is this concept that people who strategically nap in the afternoons and never have trouble falling asleep at night. The key is to mm. not nap long because that disrupts all of your rhythms, but it's the love of sleep <laughs> that helps. It's the, oh, my God, I get to go and, 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 and la kind of allowing yourself yeah. to, to give in to that. That, yeah. that feeds forward to all-round good sleep. Um, and so I don't know whether you could prescribe afternoon naps for people who feel a bit, you know, struggle with insomnia. Like that probably goes against any kind of sleep um, health guidelines. But I suspect it's that mindset. It's like, oh, sleep. Yeah, no, and you're a thousand percent right. It's association, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you have a negative association with resting because you haven't been able to rest and maybe that's part of the anxiety of it. Like, oh, I can't get sleep. So you're just resisting yeah. even falling 
you know that it's such a tumult or it has been such a tumultuous experience for you yeah. night after night, day after day, yeah. that that resistance yeah. in and of itself is yeah. going to create. And I have uh, the busiest yeah. brain in the world. I can't even meditate or do any of that mindfulness meditation. So like, I cannot do that, but I can nap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, right. And so, and, and I think because I love sleep so much, it overrides the busy, the busy brain at night. Like yeah. I don't have, I don't, that's the, it just actually shuts up. Um, so maybe that's why I like it because I get, get a break from myself. That is your pop, that is your meditating though. Yeah, like yeah. there's, you know, there's people who need like Baroque music, like yeah. you know, listening to Bach or something to be oh, able yeah. to get into theta. But, yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like it's it's because you have a brilliant brain, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll totally go with that one. Mm. Um, I do have a quick question before I ask you my next question, mm. which is you when you were saying you know some of the challenges is when people sleep too long mm. uh what is too long if they're power napping very strategically just yeah. to kind of reboot themselves, what's too long half an hour don't go longer than half an hour asleep time mm -hmm. um because then you fall into so people might be familiar with the different stages of sleep and if yes. you sleep sort of 20, 25 minutes, you're really only moving through the first one or two stages of sleep. If you fall into deep sleep, stages three or four, um, and that happens after about sort of 30, 45 minutes, then you feel awful when you wake up from that. So if you're in deep sleep and someone wakes you up or an alarm wakes you up, you feel horrible. Um, whereas mm. if you're still in light sleep, it's easy to come up and out of it. So one, you, you feel awful, so there's no benefit to, you know, you don't get the, the, the upsides, you only get the downsides, and that can then have the knock-on effect of impacting your sleep that mm -hmm. night. And you don't want to do yeah. that at all. You don't want it to disrupt your night's sleep. It's really kind of almost, if you have a strategic nap, it's got nothing to do with night sleep. Um, so if you just get those first couple of um stages of sleep and that happens within that first half hour anything longer than that you're starting to run into problems and that's why people often say I hate having naps because I always wake up feeling horrible but that's probably mm -hmm. be for an hour or maybe two hours um, and that's that's not giving you the benefits that's just giving you the downsides right you just want to sleep long enough to have a reboot exactly exactly and yeah. you get all the benefits you get the you know, as I say, you knock off the rougher emotional edges. It improves memory and learning. Um, we have lots of evidence around that. Um, and, it, and people often gain these, you know, there's all these stories about these great creative minds and thinkers and inventors and artists who gain their creative insights and that kind of time, you know, between sort of sleep and awake. Um, you can solve a lot of problems, have, you know, these insights and aha moments in that space as well. So it's kind of a fun little place to be. Yeah, something to play with. So that's mm. that's something that lots of people can do is just yeah. play with a 20 minute reboot. Mm. Um, if you need that two or three minutes to you know that you need it just to kind of calm yourself into a space where you mm. could actually even allow yourself to fall yeah, asleep. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I like what you do, uh, Dr. Sarah McKay, with adding that little extra three minutes to yeah. your timer. That's because I, that's because I don't need <laughs> much encouragement <laughs> I, I don't think if you can't if you're not feeling sleepy it's not going to work I think that's the thing as well like some people go oh, well, right. I never feel like it and I go well don't well, can't do it then it's it's just if you have that urge you go oh my god I just need to have a little nap um, then just have a have a go and see what happens no I absolutely love that so how can people connect with you to learn more and to get your book and you know do Ooh. other things 
Well, the easiest is just to come to my website. So Dr. Sarah Mackay or Mackay, as you say, drsarahmackay.com. And you can find links to my book and you can find links to my online training. I run professional training programs, um, CPD programs and applied neuroscience. So what can we take from the lab and use wisely in your work? And I play around a little bit. I kind of um, have been going through a, a bit of a, um, a learning curve and Instagram. I thought maybe I might start dabbling in that. And it's quite fun because it's a really great place to be creative and share ideas. And on Instagram, again, I'm Dr. Sarah Mackay. And um, other social, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on Twitter. But if you go to drsarahmackay.com, You'll find all of the links out to social media, how to buy my book, how to join my courses there. No, I love it. So I have to tease you really quick. And it's really teasing myself because I pronounce A's as ah as well. Like I say apple. Yeah. And people here in America tease me because they say apple. apple. So I've tried, yeah, like apple, like A for yeah. A. And I make the ah sound. So I I purposely, whenever I see an A, like in McKay, I try to say McKay, but I want to say Mackay. <laughs> Mackay. Because that's, that's well, my that's, natural default, well, but I'm trying to it. Yeah, myself. it is Scottish. My grandparents are Scottish, so it is Mackay. Um, and that's how the Scots pronounce it. So, that's But, so you know, um, I sometimes just say Mackay because at least the spelling is then obvious. <laughs> No, I love my it. And I have to say, my grandmother will be looking down from heaven at me going, no, 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 no. It's Mackay. No, I absolutely love it. And I know that I'm like 0.06 or 0.08% Scottish according to my ancestry. Oh, cool. So there you go. <laughs> some, some tiny little thing in there somewhere. It's buried under everything else. Um, I'm like a little mud puppy. I appreciate you so much for being here and carving out time to just come and share with us and to teach us so much and to give us so much of your truth for how you fully live what you teach. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me. It was an honor to be able to speak on your amazing podcast. I was so excited (laughs) that I was going to talk to that amazing lady. So awesome. Thank you for having me. I love it. I love, look, my kids have not called me cool or amazing in a long time, oh, so it feels good to hear. We need to stick together as moms. <laughs> exactly. We have to. I really appreciate you. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Balance Boldly podcast for ambitious women in business and a few brave men. If you are new to the podcast, make sure you subscribe, rate, and share to help us ensure that the other ambitiously bold and brave have access to these valuable life, love, and business balance tools. If you are an avid listener and have been with us for a while, thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are why we are voted number eight out of the top 35 women in business podcasts for 2020. So thank you so much for being with us and sharing and continuing to share and DMing and writing emails and following up with our our gracious experts who come and share their time with us. I really do appreciate all of you for that. Um, Of course, you know, if you want to connect with me, I'm Ask Nikita on all the places, Twitter, IG, Facebook, you name it. So always feel free to reach out and let me know what you think or who you want us to have on or what topic you want us to cover under the Balance Boldly moniker of everything we do here. 
If you have for some reason not picked up Selfish, my survival memoir and personal transformation story, make sure you go to Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or all the places because we're at 40,000 locations globe internationally, absolutely globally. So pick up Selfish, permission to pause, live, love, and laugh your way to joy as soon as you can or gift it for a friend. If you already have the book, make sure you review it. Your reviews matter. Um, I feel weird when I say that, but definitely your reviews matter. So please give your feedback on whatever platform you purchase the book because we do go back and read them. In the interim, I want you to go create your balance and create your joy, but remember, do it boldly. Thank you for listening.